The Old Testament reading is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. And this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all the idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And now let's turn to John chapter 3, and this is the passage that uh, we will consider this morning. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. John 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. May the Lord bless his word to us today. This morning, we are continuing to look at what the scripture teaches concerning the grace of God by which he applies to us uh, the salvation and the saving benefits uh, of that redemption that uh, Jesus accomplished for us uh, by his death and resurrection. And the subject that we are spending several weeks on is called the order of salvation. And uh, last week we considered uh, the first first thing in that order of salvation, and that is God's calling. By God's effectual call, he powerfully, he infallibly uh, draws us to Jesus Christ so that by faith in Christ we enter into God's kingdom. We are saved. And today we are considering another act of God's grace and the order of salvation that is very much related uh, to God's calling and in some ways is even a part of God's calling. 
And that is the grace of regeneration, the grace of regeneration. If God calls a person uh, to come to Christ in order to be forgiven and to receive the gift of eternal life, uh, that call that goes out to that person uh, will not succeed in bringing that person to Christ unless that person responds by faith. Uh, The person who hears the call of God must respond by entrusting himself, herself to Jesus. But Scripture describes us as those who are unable to respond to God's call. Scripture says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And so that raises the question, how can anybody who is dead, spiritually dead, how can anyone respond to a call from God to come to faith in Jesus Christ? One must be spiritually alive, awake in order to do that. But we are not alive but we are dead. So how can we respond in faith? And the answer is that God graciously and powerfully enables a person to respond to his call by entrusting himself to Jesus. He gives him a new heart so that he will hear God's call and come to Christ. And this gift of a new heart, this gift of new life, by which a sinner who is spiritually dead, he is made alive, So that he comes to faith in Christ, this is the grace of regeneration. This is regeneration. And so uh, it is a work of the Holy Spirit in giving a new birth, a rebirth to a sinner, making him alive again so that he may respond to the gospel call to come to Jesus for salvation. And this gracious work of regeneration, this was the subject of a nighttime conversation between our Lord Jesus and one of the leaders of Israel, a man by the name of Nicodemus. In this conversation in in John chapter 3, of course, Jesus does not use the word regeneration, but he does speak about being born again, being born again. And that's what regeneration is. And from this conversation or from the teaching of Jesus, we learn three truths about regeneration. First of all, regeneration or the spiritual new birth is absolutely necessary for salvation. Regeneration is an absolute necessity for someone to be saved. Uh, In this passage, John introduces us to Nicodemus. According to verse one, he was a man of the Pharisees. He was a ruler of the Jews. And so Nicodemus was... Uh, one who belonged to this uh, elite sect of uh, the Jews, the Pharisees. Uh, They were extremely devoted to keeping the traditions of Judaism. Uh, They were extremely conscientious about keeping the law of God, at least insofar as they understood what the law of God required of them. And as a Pharisee, Nicodemus, he would have been very knowledgeable about the scriptures. He was an expert in the Torah, God's, God's word, God's law. Uh, maybe it's easy, easier to understand the, the stature of a Pharisee if we think of him as what we would, how we would think today of a respected theologian, a professor at a seminary, or a biblical scholar. This is the kind of standing the Pharisees had among the people of Israel. But unlike so many of his fellow Pharisees who were so proud that they wanted nothing to do with Jesus, they had nothing but contempt, and they despised him, Uh, Nicodemus is different. He seems to have understood that 
he might have something to learn from this Galilean rabbi. And for that reason, then, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, he goes to Jesus by night to have this conversation with him. And he begins the conversation in this way. He says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So that's how Nicodemus starts the conversation. It's a very polite opening, maybe a little overly polite, maybe even bordering on flattery. But Jesus, as he so often does, he gets right down to the heart of the matter. And he answers the question that Nicodemus did not verbally express, but was undoubtedly on the mind of Nicodemus, the reason why he came to Jesus. And that question was something like, how do I enter the kingdom of God? How can I be assured that I belong to God's kingdom? Now, perhaps Nicodemus was coming to Jesus with this question, hoping that Jesus would give him some assurance that because he was an impeccable Jew, because of his credentials as a Pharisee, because he was a son of Abraham and faithful to all the traditions of Judaism, that his ticket to heaven was most certainly punched. Maybe he wanted Jesus to assure him that he had nothing to worry about. Or perhaps, uh, like the rich young ruler, perhaps he was thinking in terms of, what must I do? What more must I do in order to enter the kingdom of God? But Jesus answers this question that was on the heart of Nicodemus, not by affirming him and his status as an upright and pious Jew, nor by telling him what more he must do in order to enter into God's kingdom, but he tells Nicodemus something that he found completely baffling and shocking. And that is, he must be born again. Jesus, in verse 3, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let's stop right there for a minute and, and, and consider this as the one requirement or qualification for entrance into God's kingdom, that one must be born again. If you would see the kingdom of God, if you would enter into that kingdom in which there is the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, you must be born again. Now, how different is that? How radically different is that from belonging to or having membership in the various uh, organizations or institutions um, of this world. To belong to something in this world, the condition for membership, the condition for entrance, is often based on some quality you possess, some ability that you have, something that you have achieved. In other words, you qualify yourself in some way. Uh, just for example, to get accepted at a prestigious college, uh, you need to have an outstanding record in high school, you need to have achieved much as a student. Or at least you have to know the right people or come from the right family. Uh, for those of you who are baseball fans, you know spring training is just around the corner. And for a baseball player to make the major leagues, he must be more than a nice person. But he must be extremely talented. He must be one of the elite players of the world, able to play with the best players on the planet. Uh, perhaps you have heard of the Mensa organization. Uh, it's a club for really, really smart people. And to get into that club, you have to score in the top 2% of an IQ test that they administer. I'm not even going to bother applying for that one. And even to, to something so simple as to shop at Costco, 
you have to be a member by paying your membership fees. And just about every organization or group you can think of, there are some qualifications that you must attain or must have in order to gain entrance into it. And that depends on your wealth or your talents or your ability or your family connections or some other qualification. But the problem is we begin to, or by nature, we think about the kingdom of God in this same way. We think about entry into heaven in this same way. And so in our fallen nature and in our pride, we think, if I am to be uh, gain, if I am to gain entrance into God's kingdom, if I am to uh, be welcome into heaven, I must qualify myself by living a good life. I must avoid the scandalous sins. My good deeds must at least outweigh my bad deeds. Uh, I should be religious, and if I do all these things, I will pay my dues, and God surely will uh, welcome me into his kingdom. That's how I qualify myself. Or we may think that what qualifies us for the kingdom of God is that uh, we come from a Christian family. My grandparents were Christians. My parents are Christians. And therefore, I'm a Christian. And therefore, I must be going to heaven. It's part of our family tradition just because of who we are. And as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have thought somewhat along these lines. Uh, Just like his fellow Pharisee Paul, he could have boasted, he could have gloried in his credentials as an upstanding Jewish person. Uh, No doubt he was faultless as a Jew. He could say with the Apostle Paul, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But Jesus Insofar as Nicodemus was thinking that, Jesus completely, um, what he says, takes away all of that and leaves Nicodemus with nothing but this. He must be born again. Jesus says that interest into God's kingdom doesn't depend on your religion, your piety, or your family. Rather, he says in verse 7, you must be born again. This is the one qualification, the one Thing that qualifies you to be brought into God's kingdom is that you have been spiritually reborn. And this is something that has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with what you have accomplished, what you have obtained or achieved, but it is a supernatural work of God's grace. Now, when Nicodemus heard this, he was completely baffled. He was perplexed. He says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I think we hear the phrase born again so often and we're so used to it. We're so familiar with it that we forget how shocking this would have been to Nicodemus to be told that he must be born again. So naturally, he's thinking about physical rebirth. So he's wondering, how is that possible? Do I uh, somehow come out of my mother's womb again? But Jesus goes on to explain he's not talking about physical rebirth, but spiritual rebirth. Uh, The word that's translated again uh, can be translated as above. And uh, Jesus is using that term in both senses to be born or or regeneration. This rebirth is a, a second birth. It is to be born again, but it is also to be born from above. That is, it is to be born by the spirit of God. It is to be born 
by the will and by, uh, by uh, the work of God's grace. And so there is no salvation apart from being born again. There, there is, it is impossible for you and me to have our sins forgiven. It is impossible for us to have the gift of eternal life. It is impossible for us to have the hope of resurrection glory. It is impossible for us to think that we are going to heaven unless we have experienced this spiritual rebirth, unless we have been born again by the grace of God. Jesus says you must be born again. So it is an absolute necessity for salvation. And so one thing that this means for us is that entry or entrance into God's kingdom does not depend on reforming my life. It does not depend on my becoming uh, religious or becoming a, a better Christian or um, getting rid of my bad habits and adopting new habits or self-improvement. Some of those things are, are good in themselves, but none of these things, no matter how diligent we may pursue them, will avail us anything unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. If you would enter into God's kingdom, you must be born again. So first of all, regeneration is necessary for salvation. But secondly, regeneration is a gift of God's grace. Regeneration is a gift of God's grace. When Jesus tells Nicodemus in verse 7, you must be born again, uh, that's not a command. Uh, Jesus is not telling Nicodemus... Uh, Nicodemus, I command you, it is imperative that you be born again. Rather, Jesus is making a statement of truth or fact. He is saying, Nicodemus, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, this is the necessary requirement that you are born again. And so to be born again is not a command, but it is a statement of what is necessary. Um, when you were a kid and you went to the amusement park and you saw that sign at the roller coaster that said, you must be this tall to ride this ride. Uh, you didn't take it as a command. I must now grow five inches. But you took it as a requirement, a qualification in order to ride that ride. And that's what Jesus means when he says you must be born again. But this raises the question, Why? Why must we be born again to see or enter the kingdom of God? And the answer is, we must be born again because of what we are by nature, because of what we are by virtue of our first birth, our natural birth, and that is, we are sinners. We are born with a nature that is corrupt, morally corrupt because of sin. And the sin with which we are born, the sinful nature, this isn't just a slight blemish on an otherwise inherently good or righteous character or nature, but every part of our being, from the time not only of our birth, but even our very conception, every part of our being has been corrupted by sin. Our will, our affections, our desires, our reason, our thoughts and words and actions, all of these things in the sight of a God who is infinite in righteousness and holiness, all of these things render us impure, unrighteous before this God. Even the things that we do that, relatively speaking, speaking are good, apart from the grace of God, before a holy God, even those things are worthy of condemnation because of our sin. And so spiritually, we are dead to the things of God. 
We are dead to God's truth and his righteousness. And this is what we call total depravity. Not that we are as bad as we could possibly be, but that every part of us, every part of our nature, every part of our, our, our will, our affections, and so on, are all corrupt and tainted by sin. So that there is nothing that is in us or comes from us that is righteous in the sight of God. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah seventeen nine. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then Jeremiah goes on to say, or earlier in his prophecy, he tells us that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to change this a dreadful condition of our natural heart, that it is desperately sick. There is nothing we can do to change it. He says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. And so when Jesus says to Nicodemus here, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, he's talking about this truth, that because of our sin nature, because of what Jesus calls our flesh, we are not fit to enter God's kingdom because the kingdom of God is the kingdom of the Holy Spirit, a kingdom of righteousness, of holiness, of purity. And we are not that in our flesh, in our sinful nature. So it's not enough to be born of the flesh. You must also be born of the spirit if you are to enter into the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture teaches us truth elsewhere. Romans 8, 8, those who are born in the flesh or those who are in the flesh cannot please God. First Corinthians fifteen fifty. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so if we are to inherit the kingdom of God, we must be born of the spirit of God. And this being born of God's spirit, this is not just by the very nature of the case. This is not the result of our decision or our will or our desire, but it is the gift of God's grace. And we can take the analogy from our natural birth and apply it to the spiritual rebirth. How many of you chose to be born? How many of you willed to be born into this world? None of us did. It's something that just happened to us. We were completely passive. We were born into the world. And in the same way, no one can will or choose to be born of the Spirit. It is the work of God's sovereign grace. In John 1.13, as John speaks of the children of God, he says they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. And this is just another way in which as we are looking at these uh, doctrines of uh, God's, uh, uh, the order of salvation, God's gracious acts towards us in Christ for our salvation. It's just another way that in all of these things, God gets all the glory and all the credit for our salvation. He is the one who causes us to be born again. And Jesus also tells Nicodemus what this spiritual birth consists of. And he says in verse five, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what did Jesus mean when he says that one must be born of water and the spirit to order God's to enter God's kingdom? Well, to answer that question, we go back to Ezekiel chapter 36. This was the passage that Jesus most likely had in mind when he was uh, saying these things to Nicodemus. If you remember in Ezekiel chapter 36, the passage that we heard earlier, 
uh, the Lord declares uh, to the people of Israel through the prophet that he will cleanse his people from their uncleanness. He will cleanse them from their idolatry by sprinkling clean water on them. And so water then is a symbol of purification, of cleansing, of washing away of sin. And in that very same passage, the prophet says that God will give his people a new heart. He will give them a new spirit. He will put his spirit in them so that they will walk in obedience to the Lord. And so the promise that the Lord gave to his people in Ezekiel was that he would purify and renew his people. He would cleanse them, but he would also renew them, give them a new heart, a new spirit. And that is the very promise that Jesus is referring to when he speaks to Nicodemus and tells him that you must be born again. It is this promise that in order that we might be redeemed, the Lord will purify us. He will cleanse us and he will give us a new heart. And so we are born of the water and of the spirits. And that's what the new birth is. Purification, cleansing, renewal. And because of this radical nature of spiritual rebirth, the scripture even goes so far as to call it a new creation. This is something entirely new, something that did not exist before. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so to be born again is nothing less to be recreated by God. And God gives you in that recreation, that rebirth, he gives you a new heart, new affections, new desires, a new will. Oriented not towards self and sin, but oriented towards God and his righteousness. So it is a radical transformation that God works in us, this regeneration, in order that we may be brought into his kingdom. And just as the first act of creation was solely an act of God's power and grace, so it is with spiritual regeneration or recreation. It is by the power and grace of God for his own glory that he causes us to be born again. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given this gift. You are born again. You are a new creation. Thirdly, Regeneration results in Christian faith, love, and obedience. When I was uh, a boy uh, playing Little League Baseball, at the time we lived in uh, the panhandle of Texas, uh, which was kind of like the buckle of the Bible Belt. And uh, I was a kid from Southern California who had gone to church maybe uh, once or twice in his whole life. And my baseball coach uh, had a t-shirt on and on, that, on his shirt, there was a date uh, emblazoned on it. And I forget the date, but let's just say, let's just choose a date, July 1st, 1978 or something like that. And I asked him what that meant. And he told me that that was the day he was born again. And uh, I felt a lot like Nicodemus. I had no idea what he was talking about. He was speaking a, a foreign language. Now, maybe, like my coach, maybe you can point to a certain day, maybe even a certain hour in which you believe that you were truly born again because you went from being an unbeliever to trusting and hoping in Christ. Uh, maybe you, you even have that date on a t-shirt. I don't know. Or maybe your coming to Christ was a more gradual process. 
Maybe you can't point to a specific day or time in which you were reborn by God's Spirit. But in either case, whether you can pinpoint a time or whether you cannot, in either case, in both cases, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in giving you a new heart is something that is invisible. You, you don't see the Spirit doing this. You don't feel that you are being reborn. Uh, only with some uncertainty could we even pinpoint an exact day or moment. But the Spirit works in a mysterious, inscrutable way to give you a new heart. And the way that Jesus describes this is he, he, he compares the work of the Spirit with the wind. He says in John, uh, in verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Uh, living here in Reno, we know uh, what wind is all about. We know what it's like for the wind to blow. Uh, we can't actually see the wind. We don't actually see the wind itself, but we hear its effects, or we see its effects. We hear the wind howling against our house at night. Uh, we see the trees bending and swaying in the wind. We see the snow in the winter blowing across the road. And in the same way, you can't see the work of the Holy Spirit in giving spiritual rebirth to a person, but you can see the result of it, and the result of that work of the Spirit is a new creation. It is a person who now has faith in Christ. It is a person who is now seeking uh, to live a life pleasing to Christ. And so the result of regeneration is a life of faith, of love, of joy, of obedience. When we, when we go on and continue on reading in the Gospel of John, uh, we see that Nicodemus undergoes this change. Here he comes to Jesus by night. And I believe that is, in part at least, symbolic of the, the spiritual darkness in which Jesus, in which Nicodemus is still living in. He's still in the dark spiritually. But somewhere along the way, as a result of his encounter with Jesus, he is brought into the light of his truth. He is given the grace of regeneration. Because at the end of the gospel, we see Nicodemus along with Joseph of Arimathea. They are taking care of the body of Christ. And they're doing that because, no doubt, Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, had come to true saving faith in the Lord Jesus. And that's, that change in his life, that is a pattern to which every Christian who is born again conforms to. The grace of regeneration results in, in a life of faith, of love, of, of obedience. Uh, the first fruit or the first result of regeneration is faith. First John 5, 1 John 5.1, John says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Notice he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Notice the order there. It's not first he believed in Jesus and then he was born of God, but he was born of God and then he believed in Jesus. Regeneration comes before faith. We must be born again in order to believe. That's why when we're going through the order of salvation, today I'm preaching on regeneration, and then later we'll, I'll preach on faith. And the grace of regeneration all, also bears the fruit of love and obedience. Listen to these verses from 1 John. 
1 John 2.29, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 1 John 4.7, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 5.4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So what is the result of regeneration? What is the fruit of the spiritual rebirth? It is practicing righteousness, loving God and others, overcoming the world. And so regeneration produces a life of faith, obedience, and joy. Again, Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. As you examine your own heart today, and as you, as you do so, if you can, can tell yourself, I have not yet come to faith in Christ, then pray to God, pray believe in Christ, but also pray that the Lord would give you this gift, that he would give you a new heart, that he would enable you to come to faith, to entrust yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, because there is salvation in no other name than the name of the God, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. If you do know Jesus as your Savior, then give thanks to God. Praise God. Give him all the credit and glory that you have come to Christ for salvation because it is all of his work. It is all of his grace. You did not ask for it. You did not desire it. You did not seek it. But God gave you what was necessary to bring you into his eternal kingdom. And that is a new heart, new life. It is a gift of God. First Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.